Today on Semi-Intellectual Musings, we find out the name of Matt's newborn. We chase social science fiction through the blue spruce of Twin Peaks. And this is the episode that gets Matt all teary-eyed. And so, like, on this one, what I did was uh, marinate it for, it was maybe, like, four hours. And and so describe the marinade, my friend. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, it was delicious. Like, I smelt it, and then I tasted it, and both were great. So, uh, base of lemon juice, uh, some Montreal steak spice, uh, some freshly cut basil and thyme, and then uh, kind of like a homemade barbecue sauce, which was just basically brown sugar, um, Worcestershire, um, a little bit of water. No, I didn't use, yeah, a little bit of water and, um, apple cider vinegar. So when you say freshly, um, cut thyme and basil, that's, uh, thyme and basil that you've grown yourself, I imagine? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Where is that out there? It was just on the balcony. I still haven't put it anywhere. It's just in the little pots on the balcony. Huh. So. Or on the patio, I guess. So yeah, no, it was like, um an earth shattering dinner that he made. Uh, I took a picture and we will tweet it out. I imagine. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, potatoes, just like, the potatoes are really good. The potatoes are phenomenal. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, they're like little, like new potatoes. And, yeah. uh, he actually, um, barbecued them in a, like one of those a casserole like, dish. Yeah. A casserole dish on the barbecue is kind of yeah, like with, pretty fancy. With, uh, pearl onions, uh, whole garlic. Yeah. And, uh, local onions and garlic. Well. Uh, everything was uh, basically everything was local. Yeah, right? and um, it's it's our season, right? So like yeah. uh, when we can buy fresh veg and produce locally, why not? Oh, and describe the fish really quickly as well, because you uh, wrote like you barbecued it on a maple plank, and like yes. for when we do salmon, it's always on cedar planks, right? Yeah, so it was um, thinly cut trout that had been smoked, but it, like just a little bit of smoke in it. And I put that in a marinade of lemon juice and like a dill kind of mix of spices, yeah, uh, yeah. which was good with yeah. a little bit of garlic. And then, uh, so that was in there for like a day, um, just soaking up all the juices. And then I put it on a maple plank on the barbecue, uh, mm-hmm. kind of gave it another little smoke. Uh, it turned out pretty good. Yeah, no, it tasted like um, salmon that we get from uh, Steveston, British Columbia. It's like... Uh, it's actually for another podcast, but it's a really interesting story. So anyway, how's your week been, man? Like, I haven't seen you for like four weeks, I guess. Yeah, it, it has been a while, hasn't yeah. it? Thought I was being replaced by Aaron Henry there for a second. Yeah, And, and then Mel came on. I'm like, and oh my Mel. God, is, the coup has happened. <laughs> the coup has happened. And yeah, then so, I think uh, in there, there is a June bonus episode and then a compilation of recommendations episodes. Yeah, I love the recommendations episode, man. That was uh, that was really exciting. To so hear. I guess it's been like five episodes since you've been on. Been five episodes. I'm almost like kind of like, what is this black thing in front of me and how do I talk into it? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of intimidated by the big black object in well, front uh, of me. Yeah, it's, it's a mic. <laughs> Yeah, it's a microphone. Is that what this thing is? Yeah. So what have you been been up to, I've been good. I've been up to uh, lots of PhDing. (laughs) So focusing on writing. PhDing? Is that what you call it? (laughs) PhDing. Yeah. Uh, uh, You're doing your comps, right? Like right now? Trying to write a comp chapter kind of combo. Yeah. Trying to to milk that. Yeah. Um, Mel's gone on vacation for a week and a bit. Uh, Girl guiding 
Uh, she's doing some sort of canoe training thing. Don't is really she know. getting canoe certified? She well, see, this is the thing. She is canoe certified on certain things, okay. uh, and I think this training session is the portaging and backpacking canoe trip. Oh, it's like much more intensive. The the awful aspect of canoeing, where backpacking you gotta, and portaging, <laughs> yeah. where you got to carry the <laughs> yeah. sucker. Yeah. That was something that when I moved here, I'm like, what is this thing like? Because we have the portage bridge here in Ottawa, and I'm like, oh god, people had to like carry the canoe through the woods and then like then you make the connection and be like oh that's why they wrote poems and songs about black flies and fighting insects here in ontario and quebec because people had to lug these awful birch bark canoes through the uh, through the woods yeah you just did a whole thing there huh, that was good go. <laughs> uh so anyway uh what's new with you matt um i don't know man i've just been like hanging out at home a lot uh yeah not not no big life events or anything like that. Oh, oh, right. I became a father. And this is the big reveal that everybody's oh. waiting for. Sorry for the teaser, folks. So if you're new here, um, <laughs> Matt has been uh, telling us about his wife's pregnancy. Well, I guess their pregnancy uh, I for a while, since actually the first episode. Yeah. And uh, why he hasn't been on is because his wife... Well, I, I won't. I, okay, I'm not going to spoil it. No. Give us, give, give, give us. <laughs> no, fill us in, man. I, it's better than I'm doing. I got my big shitty or grin on right now, and I, I don't even know if I can articulate. Because, okay, yeah. So I became a father, um, July twelfth, uh, at five fifty-five p.m. Uh, so that is the uh, the girl's uh, sports number is either five or fifty-five. Um, we named her Violet Joy. That's, Violet. Yeah, Violet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, isn't that, uh, that's a pretty name. Harkens to like my gardening and we thought it's like it's a flower name, but it's also kind of like a strong kind of flower, even though it's like delicate. I don't know. It's we have a lot of reasons and I won't bore you with it. Um yeah, she was eight pounds, nine ounces. Um, and I'm in love, man. Like I Wow. I've been struggling to articulate like how I feel. Um, every time I try to, I get a little tickle in the back of my throat, like yeah. I'm about to like start crying like right now. So, um, I'll keep it together. Um, because we come from academics, let's say, um, sometimes when you have like these big emotional life events, you, you start taking notes basically. So I actually like did an outline and I've been taking these notes. So, Oh, uh, I, do you want to share some? So, okay. So I have some stuff I wanted to talk about with you and with everyone listening, but I also, Brought in a little show and tell for Phil. I'm going to like okay. flick it across the table at him. Um, so we'll talk about that in a second. So, um, I mean, Mel, <laughs> <laughs> Melanie was uh, like a, a week and a number of days past her due date. So the last few days before she went into labor, we tried every sort of uh, old trick in the book to uh, induce. Um, and in- Including uh, that uh ice cream oh yeah right so there's this rather famous place here um something luna uh, do you know the name of it stella, stella luna. luna stella luna in ottawa yeah and they make a, an ice cream that is like full of chilies and chocolate double chocolate or triple chocolate with yeah. chili flakes yeah and if it's um your due date you get it for free or if you're past your due date i think they'll also just give it to you on the house right? and uh, a lot of people say that after having consumed it they immediately go into labor yeah, totally didn't work, and Mel did not enjoy the flavor. Combination. She so. said it ends up being like you're chewing a bunch of chili flakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's kind of awful. Um, so so sorry, Stella. These Luna. all didn't work, and then the day of, so July twelfth, which was a Wednesday, um, we heard from a mid our midwife um to drink castor oil, 
And doesn't that make you go poo? It does. So it induces um, bowel movements, and the um, the movement of the bowel like encourages a contraction to kind of happen. So just everything will come out. Yeah, and okay. uh, for the old tricks in the book, this is the one that worked, and I've heard a lot of like from a lot of different women that this is the thing that worked for them as so well. So it ended up working for Mal as well. Yeah, yeah, it wow. did. So okay. I. Put this concoction together. It involved uh, three shots of, or three ounces of castor oil, three ounces of orange juice, and the recipe originally called for three ounces of vodka as well. Why not? But the midwife crossed that out, but she forgot to cross out on the other side, like the vodka. So we just laughed about that. But we saved the uh, vodka because it was nine thirty in the morning. Maybe the vodka's for the for you. For <laughs> yeah. <her>. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I uh, I gave her this, and then you know, Captain Concussion. I go down for a nap because I'm like, I better like prepare myself for this. And uh, she wakes me up at like twelve thirty, um, and is like. I think my water just broke. That's wow. how I woke up. I was like, <gasps> like shoot up out of my wow. bed like a zombie or like a Frankenstein or a vampire or something like. And just like boom, like shoot awake. And I'm like go mode. Um, so I. But you had rehearsed stuff. the the whole deal, right? We did. We yeah. had our bags packed and everything. Like we're okay. ready to go. And they. So I run them down there and I install the car seat uh, base and do all that sort of stuff that like the birth partner does. And um, but Mel is like like really in labor like she her contractions are like a minute apart like so after like maybe an hour of this um we get the midwife over there and it was like say three o'clock when they arrived by three thirty, they're like okay we better go and we went to the birth center because it was closer mel at that point was already like nine and a half centimeters oh wow so that's like for those who don't know, like 10 centimeters is like the baby, like the it's woman starts there. pushing yeah. and it's like, it's, you're in active labor, they call it. Um, so we were like right there. So as I was driving to the birth center on like, I go on the aviation parkway and then the 417, um, I'm like, the one midwife is right behind me in an Austin mini. <laughs> I'm just looking at my- Wait, wait, wait hold on. Your, your, your midwife is driving an Austin mini. Right behind me. Yeah, she's tailing me. And apparently this is something they do to make sure like the- birth partner doesn't go crazy and just go off the road or okay well apparently all okay so that's nice but what i'm thinking is apparently being a midwife has good pay um dude okay so i'll side note here i have so much respect for midwives those women work so damn hard like every time we had after the birth they would come over for a visit they were always delayed by like four hours and it was always like we were out of birth we were out of birth and like they would send like maybe a backup backup person because other women are at birth and they're always on like, yeah, midwives are crazy. Like I would love to just like tweet something out about midwives at some point. Anyway, okay. Okay. So, I'll, I'll shout out to all midwives. Uh, so we love you. I get uh, to the mail to the birth center uh, safely. Uh, didn't drive like a maniac, which I was really proud of. Um, I could quick get her inside, quickly call her parents who are in town. My parents had left Good for move. Yep. Halifax um, to visit my sister. And, um, and uh, then we get in and it was just on. I'll spare you the details just because it's like kind of personal. Um, but the birth center had a bath that she went right in and that reduced the pain. So Very I nice. recommend if you have a facility like that. Um, but she didn't then, do a water birth. No, no. Okay. She just went in there to just sort of like calm to things relax. down a little bit. Yeah, have a nice bath. And, um, and also sort of get loose, you know. <laughs> and um, And then she switched to another position and then we we're on the bed and then like, 
man by 555 so we got there she was in the room at like 330 555 the baby was born okay that sounds uh, that sounds pretty good and she did so well like i am i'm going to start crying if i articulate this too much but i am so like like so much i don't know like deeply in love with my wife like i have so much respect for, more respect than i thought was even possible for her and i don't know it was just it's crazy to see her go through that uh, jump in okay Sorry. you're you're starting you're that, <laughs> let yeah. me look at my notes <laughs> um matt uh matt and i are uh i'm gonna i'm gonna call us um not weepers but we cry yeah I'm, and uh, uh you know there's no there's want, no shame you in don't that. want me at a wedding but matt matt yeah no while well, you were at mine yeah. and i think you cried <laughs> oh for sure I did. um but yeah he's he's a little teary right now yeah. that was very sweet Okay, uh, so, and we can really hear the emotion in your voice, Matt. So um, after all said was done, I went outside um, um, and called a few people, and I called Phil, and that was what you guys all we, heard on the last. Yes, I episode. recorded the call. Yeah, that um, I cried like by myself on a park bench uh, listening to that because Phil like released that and he's like, "Download this one. I got a surprise in there." Yeah, for I you. didn't. I didn't tell Matt that I had done so. Yeah. He found out when everyone else found out. You know, um, at the moment when I first heard you, I had a feeling because you had your podcast voice. And I was like, ooh, something might be up. And then I was just so emotionally like over the moon and like all over the place that like I was just like, oh, my God, I'm talking to Phil. <laughs> like it was just <laughs> so like some of the reflections I have. So I'll just sort of go over some of the things I have. So um, I had an inability to articulate my thoughts for like five days afterwards. Like I okay. wanted to say things to people because um, I'm also very emotional um, since this happened. Like I'm like saying things to people that I've always wanted to say and like telling people how much they mean to me and stuff like that, like being those conversations. But like my inability to articulate is like getting in the way of that. So it was kind of like weird. This thing I wasn't expecting. Um, I found that for the first like few days afterwards, I would just hold her in my violet in my hands and just, like stare at her face for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes at a time, like intently. Um, I, I, like in a way uh, that you're like, wow, I made this or no, like um, connect, like oh, a okay. connection thing. Right. Like, yeah. and I can only describe it as like an animalistic connection where I'm just like this, like we're together and like, I want like to be, connected. you're having special moments. Yeah. There are special moments. Um, I'll uh, say there's a, uh, I'll post the playlist. Um, but for um I gotten into a routine where like Mel will wake up at like six thirty or so, feed her, and then I'll go change her and just have her with me for like an hour or so just to get let Mel sleep in a little bit. And um I'll be playing music to her with her and like walking around the apartment just rocking and dancing. And we call it uh daddy dancing time. Um <laughs> great name. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um and so I'll post these like over the span of two days, I played 10 different songs and she rea- these are the songs she reacted to. And um, maybe at, like at the end of all this, we'll just like play a couple of uh, bits of the songs. Um, but it, it's like I, when she's unable to like see and recognize like, like shapes and distances, I've been focusing on like vocalizing. And, um, but my little Violet is so advanced and so perfect already. Um, she she after like the third or fourth day i could tell she was like recognizing things like close up and like um after like day five she was recognizing mel after like day six or so uh i could tell she was recognizing me 
Um, so like moments like that, it's like, oh, like you just sort of, it just sort of breaks your heart. Like, so I passed you a sheet. Like, what yeah, is this in front of well, you? it, it, well, it's a, it's a journal. Uh, it looks like a log. So this one's dated July 12th. Um, first, first fart <laughs> happened. Uh, and then some hiccups happened. Uh, and then a couple hours later, a burp, um, something about a huge black poop. <laughs> and then peed on me. Yeah, she peed on me. That was great. Like second uh, day. Flip it over to the other side. Uh, okay. After you get through that. Yeah, and then well. later um, is fed, is fed, uh, <laughs> and then Mel sleeps. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and change of diaper, uh, some more burps, some more poops. Um, and then, oh, sucking thumb hard. Mm. Well, that's that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Violet fell onto Melly. So I guess uh, you oh, dropped your was, kid already, huh? No, no. She was um, like getting ready to like feed and she was just sort of lying on her chest and then she just sort of on her own like rolled onto like onto Melly and like I was just like, yeah, that's my little girl. I'm like, hungry uh, little baby. And then on the bottom <laughs> of the list, uh, like there was a, there, like I'm just picking some of these up, but on the first hairbrush uh, happened. Yeah. So that's kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, because um, we had a family baby shower. Um, so on the flip side of the sheet that Phil is looking at is what I called qualitative first. So these are the ones that are like, so the first sheet were like things that maybe the midwife might want to know. Um, but the backside is like the stuff that like the memories and things like this. So, okay. So I have, um, July 16th, 7 30 AM noticed your hair mm. color might be changing. Cool. So your hair's changing color? Uh, her, her hair is changing oh. color. My hair is already tar- starting to turn gray, man. But thanks for uh, reminding me. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, first, owie. So uh, that was through a blood sample. Yeah, uh, yeah. I kept the band-aid. Listened to music for first time. Yeah. Um, uh, w- what song did she listen to? What was the first song Violet uh, heard? Oh, jeez. Oh man, you put me on the spot because well, I it left says see the... list of songs. There's like yeah, an appendix to this. There is. Matt has this entire system, and the appendix is on a um, envelope that contained a bank statement that is on the piano right now. <laughs> okay, so I was going to say Matt has this entire system that appears to be very well organized, mm-hmm. but when you look at it, uh, it's supposed to be chronological, but then there's arrows and lines. Oh yeah, um, yeah. crossing everything out. It's in chicken scratch. Yeah, it's yeah, on like I don't know what piece of paper this is, but uh, um, I actually yanked that out of Mel's notebook and she yeah, got mad okay. at me because it's really high quality paper. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm going to continue the list just cause I find this, uh, amusing, uh, <laughs> the umbilical do. cord, uh, pulled off and then fell off and then, uh, freaked out. Oh, was that yes. you or Violet? No, we freaked out. Um, yeah. okay. So this well, is our yeah. first parent freak out moment. So the umbilical cord, like when they cut it, they put like this plastic clamp on it and then they take the clamp off after a few days and it's like yeah. this hard like dead piece of skin hard dead piece of skin yeah. yeah like something that would hang off your toe but only like huge sure you can do it to a and toe that's how they do a toe so it got caught in the top of the diaper like while yep, she was sleeping that's how that happens and it like yep and it was just Pulls hanging off. on by a thread and uh and we, at 10 30 and my cousin's um partner is a nurse practitioner um so she's like my goat and she they live here in ottawa they live like 10 minutes away so i'm like Chantel, Chantel, like, please tell me I didn't just kill my baby. <laughs> like, I had, like, a legit... All right, so you've out. gone through all the emotions. So I'm like, do no, I have I to call the nurse's baby. line? Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and um, turns out everything's fine. And we kept the umbilical cord 
gross thing as yeah, well. Yeah, that's... It's right by the Band-Aid. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. Um, oh, okay. In a little plastic container. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so hey man, then... I've been shit on, bro, like twice. Already. So then on July... <laughs> Nothing's gross So anymore. then on July 18th... Well, here's a nice moment. July 18th at 2 p.m., went outside to the park, uh, sat under an old oak tree with O Matt Mommy Mel. Oh, Oma. Yeah, that's like a Dutch name for grandma. Okay, so with grandma, mommy, and uh, Melly. Yeah. Uh, So that's outside. Yeah. um, July 18th. Yeah. For the first time. Yeah, yeah. We. uh, It seems like it's going really quick. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. And we have a really great baby. Like she, she just eats shits and sleeps and like sleeps for good solid like four hour chunks. So Melly is able to like um, get down and have like some naps as well during the day. So that's all great. Um, as I said, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I can go on forever. I, I thought it would be amusing to share though. I was out like going to a grocery store or something, getting Mel something embarrassing that I won't mention here. Um, and I had like a flash forward already, like of when Violet brings her first girlfriend or boyfriend over and like, going out and having like that talk in the garden, like, Hey, what are your intentions with my daughter? And then you bring out the umbilical cord piece and you're like, this was on you. Well, I'm going to actually put the umbilical cord in a leather patch and put it around Violet's neck and she can take it off when she gets married. Okay. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Matt, thank you for sharing. Thanks for giving me the space to share, man. And thank you very much for recording that call. That is, um, something that I'm actually going to cherish for like Violet's whole life. Oh yeah. No. And, and this as well, that's why I wanted to, come on and like just sort of share and get a little emotional and stuff. But, um, well, I have a feeling so, that we'll be doing more of that. Yeah. So for like, so read out like how they can reach us and all that stuff that you do. And then at the end, maybe we can just play two snippets of those two songs. And the songs that I want to play are not just random from this playlist, but they're the songs that like I was holding her and I just started like tearing up and like dropping tears in her face. It was like one of the most like beautiful moments in my life. Okay. What I'm going to do, <laughs> so gonna what I'm going to do first though, Tell is uh, we have, we have a couple plugs. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I want to talk about the Potter and family network, Potter and family hashtag. Oh, you can reach them on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, that is hashtag Potter and family. Uh, retweet uh, the love with Potter and family. They're a great group of independent podcasters. A lot of them have been supporting us. So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, two Pod and Family podcasts that I want to draw attention to for and thank them for their support. Uh, the first one is Nudging 30, which is a great podcast. Uh, you know, two millennials put it on. Uh, there's avocado toast and there's lots of bitching about uh, oh God, debt Avocado and... toast. I love avocado toast. Am I a millennial? Well, <laughs> listen to the podcast. Be. You'll find out. If you like avocado toast, you just might be a millennial. <laughs> if you're in your... Mid to late 20s or early 30s, this podcast is for you. Uh, highly recommended. The second one is This Is It podcast. Uh, great storytelling. Uh, tells us about the everyday mundane things of life for the future, the apocalyptic future. So, for example, what does a wedding look like? How would you explain the wedding to the future? How would you explain various things again highly entertaining great storytelling awesome i actually wrote that those both down and i'm going to be throwing them in my podcatcher before i leave here perfect subscribe check out pod and family and here's a little message from uh juice in the morning juice here do you like music do you like film and television do you like sports do you like random topics and people if you said no to all of these juice in the morning is not the show for you 
If you said yes to at least one of these, check out my show on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Let's take over the world together, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Justin. Uh, you put on a great show. Um, if you want to get a hold of our show, we're on Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. You can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Uh, our website, including the archives to the show, is thesim.podbean.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, your podcatcher of choice. Please leave us some ratings and some reviews. And check out our Facebook page at the Simpod. That's where we post new episodes. We interact with uh, lots of fans, lots of listeners. Podcast support groups as well. Podcast support yeah. groups. Uh, so check us out on Facebook. Uh, we're going to send you off with one of Matt's songs yeah. uh, that he's curated for yeah. us. This and is a song that made Matt cry. All right. And when we get back, we'll uh, hit the main, main portion of the show. So good to be back. How you tried to set them free. They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now Starry, starry night Flaming flowers that brightly blaze Swirling clouds in violet haze Reflect in Vincent's eyes of china blue Colors changing hue Morning fields of amber grain Weathered faces lined in pain Are soothed beneath the artist's Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is Semi-Intellectual Musings. I'm Philip Primo. And I'm Matt Sanderson. This is the podcast that looks at social sciences, humanities, and arts. Uh, we strive to put the published world in conversation with your everyday world. And today we're going to be looking at social science fiction. Uh, now, social science fiction is a subgenre of science fiction. It's concerned less with space or technology, but as we'll see, this isn't always the case. In essence, it's uh, speculation on or about human society, hence the social. So it talks about human behavior, probing questions, or offering a critique. It also provides a lens through which our interactions and our world can be made to feel strange, or something which is strange can be made to feel familiar in order to grasp it. I love that quote. That's like the famous quote that we use in anthropology, making the strange familiar and the familiar strange. Like that. Yeah. Um, so uh, some of the notable titles in the genre, uh, some of which we've talked about on the show before, actually, include uh, Brave New World in 1932, uh, 1984, which was out in 1949, Fahrenheit 451, 1953. So we did a whole episode on Fahrenheit 451. Uh, but, you know, it also goes to things like Gulliver's Travels from 1726. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. That makes um, sense. And oftentimes you think of Gulliver's Travels, they often call it like political satire just from the Middle Ages or whatever, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, never thought of it this way, and and it's interesting. I'll just say right up front, like social science uh, fiction. Um, I didn't never heard about it, but it's like novels that I would read all the time, and I would just often call them like dystopian novels, like 1984 or Brave New World. Um, but as soon as Phil like mentioned the potential like topic of this show, I'm like, oh, 
That's perfect because I we did Fahrenheit 451 without me even realizing what social science fiction was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is what uh, some critics uh, consider to be social science fiction. There's like some debates around mm. the definition of it uh, that we might or might not get into. Okay. But uh, you know, someone who's really well known in the genre is Isaac Asinoff. Oh, I've read like all of the Foundation series. So yeah, yeah. the Foundation well, series, iRobot, uh, yeah, Nightfall. Sure. Uh, so the works in social science fiction are speculative uh, and they feature social commentary. Uh, now, some of them are utopian, uh, some of them are dystopian, um, but generally there is some debate about if a utopian or dystopian novel can fit into the genre just because it's utopian or dystopian. So there needs to be a little bit more than just the dystopic background to make it social science fiction. Um, so here, so, sorry, can I just ask then? Um, so the qualification would be like commentary on the social or the cultural. I yeah, guess, right? exactly. Okay. Which I think, you know, a lot of dystopian, uh, works do, like but they in don't an implied fashion, but like these exactly, are works yeah. that are directly about exactly. society. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It takes a little yeah. bit more of a heads on approach to it. Uh, so we can think of, uh, the works of Thomas More, uh, his 1516 classic utopia, uh, or as I mentioned, Gulliver Swift's uh, 1726 uh, Gulliver's tra- Jonathan Swift, sorry, <laughs> 1926 Gulliver's Travels. Uh, but we can also think uh, of writers or works such as H.G. Wells mm-hmm. and his ni- uh, 1895 classic uh, futurist book, The Time Machine. Oh yeah. For so sure. here we have a tale of class factions, the Eloys and the Morlocks. Mm. Uh, so we see a critique of capitalist exploitation in that book, right? Mm. Um, and maybe there's something similar can be found in Hunger Games or some other more recent dystopic stories that touch on human uh, relationships and organizations, things like uh, Divergent, uh, The mm. Maze Runner, okay. the, these sorts of examples. Yep. Um, so one version of the story says that the term social science fiction was coined in the 1940s by two Americans, Robert A. Henlon and Isaac Asimov. Oh, uh, sorry, that... Uh... Robert Heinlein, man. That's Heinlein. like my, those are my two biggies. Well, there you go. Holy crap. Um, <laughs> like, and am I a fan of social science fiction without knowing it? Probably. probably. That's why we do this podcast. Uh, so Heinlein, uh, you know, has works as a starship troopers, which is kind of the, the classic, right? So, um, and I'll just throw a stranger in a strange land. Yeah. Um, there's like, uh, Heinlein has like, uh, I'll just keep this short, but he has like, I don't know, like a dozen to 14 books um, in the latter part of his career. Um, where it all dealt with the colonization of uh, the moon and then Mars. And it's all about civilization and how the societies formed. And and it's like one of the big things in Heinlein is like how gravity affects social organization, if you can believe it or not. Yeah. So here, he, yeah. th- I mean, that's a great example of a social science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just like a dabble of science. And that's what I like, because like sometimes science fiction for me is like, it's a little bit too much science. Like I'm reading one right now. It's like a 700 page, like sweeping so uh, science fiction book, and it's like all about the International Space Station, and it's very like a lot about physics. And like uh, I just skipped through it, but like Heinlein, it's like, oh yeah, gravity. Like it will change the shape of your body. Okay, moving on. You know. So um, where I want to take this discussion is to move um, on to talk about Twin Peaks. And I want to talk about Twin Peaks as social science fiction. But before I do that, let's consider a few other books, TV shows, or films that kind of fit our definition of what we're talking about. Um, And Alex uh, tweeted at us earlier to suggest Margaret Atwood's Oryx 
and Crake uh, as an example of social science fiction. And it's, uh, you know, thank you, uh, Alex, for doing that because our my first one on the my extended list was The Handmaid's Tale, mm. which is now made into a TV series, and I believe. For someone who apparently likes social science fiction, um, I've actually never read Margaret Atwood, so maybe I'll take up Alex's uh, suggestion there. Yep. Uh, another one could be Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, who's also a giant in the field, uh, The Left Hand of Darkness, uh, and, you know, the other work, The Dispossessed, uh, kind of big titles. Uh, but here's another one. Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, I, I haven't read that yet. Uh, well, you don't need to read it because it's also a movie. Yeah, it's also sure. an audio book. I seen the movie for whatever reason. It, and I first encountered it as the uh, feature-length radio show uh, where I believe it's a cast, but Adams is definitely part of it, who reads it on uh, British Airways. And it oh, was cool. it's fantastic. You can find it on YouTube. Oh, cool. Really okay. great. Uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I love it. You know, also, it. so it's a graphic novel uh, book and movie. Um, so, you know, this fits into our genre of social science fiction. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Orwell's Animal Farm. Yeah. Which is yeah, probably sure. one of the first Orwells that people will, will read. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange, which yeah, is yeah. also a, a yeah, movie. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, there's, um, and, um, just now it's just literally popping in my head, but, um, a lot of William S. Burroughs, um, work, um, some of the, um, uh, fiction of the beatniks in the 50s yeah. was social science fiction because they're talking about their time but it's like they're using experimental methodology basically exactly right yeah well, so, writing methods so right? think of the whole steampunk uh kind of sure. genre or yeah. sub sub genre yeah uh, a lot of that is social science fiction mm. if we think of just movies now mm. uh, avatar mm. district nine yeah for sure wall e okay yeah the running man planet of the apes I love Running Man. <laughs> we got to do an episode on Running Man. So there, we got to do a Schwarzenegger suite. <laughs> so there are a lot more that could be added to this list, but I think this gets us thinking. And you've probably read or seen at least one um, of you know something that I've listed. Oh, for sure. So here's our question to get us going: Could Twin Peaks be considered to be part of the social science fiction subgenre? If so, why? And if so, what does that mean to how we understand the story? Now, I think those are kind of two prompting questions that we could, you know, debate and talk about for a while. But if not, so if if we determine that social, like, you know, Twin Peaks is not social science fiction, um, how else could we classify Twin Peaks? Or does it need a classification system? Like, is it something so different that it stands apart? Mm. So, Matt, I'm going to throw it over to you. Uh, give us the rundown, uh, you know, about Twin Peaks. For sure. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. So obviously, Twin Peaks was a huge show at the time, and it also uh, has a cult following with it. Um, if you know anything about Twin Peaks, or if you've seen it, you'll know that it's impossible to encapsulate in a small little premise here. So I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm going to keep it super short, and then we'll get into these questions that Phil proposed. Um, so essentially, Twin Peaks is set in um, a community in the Pacific Northwest. Do you, is it called Twin Peaks? That know. is the name of okay. the actual well, there, town. That yeah. makes sense, yeah. And I liked it because being from like the Lower Mainland, um, it looks like home. Um, the story is about the murder of Laura Palmer. And um, it starts off, in, you think it's just like a straightforward kind of cop procedural 
um, where it's like, you know, two cops, maybe a local sheriff who is uh, a character, and then an FBI agent comes in whose name is Dale Cooper. Um, and the season takes off from there. There's two seasons. It was released in 1990 and 91. Um, and then there's also a movie called uh, Fire Walks With Me. Um, and what you find in season one, at least, is that uh, after like a few episodes, it just sort of stops sort of becoming about the murder of Laura Palmer and it becomes the story of everything else. There's like a connections abound and like, I still haven't seen Fargo. I feel guilty after Aaron's episodes, but um, Phil's seen it. So like, I wanted to actually kick it over to Phil where I feel like in Fargo, as well as Twin Peaks, um, the, the crime uh, that needs to be solved is just like the foundation and the underpinning of it. And then it becomes about, everything else. And that's probably why we're doing this episode, right? Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think, uh, you know, like Fargo, Twin Peaks has the first act or opening act um, that is a crime. And I think it's in a, you know, it's one of those things that is relatable. It's one of those things that's plausible. So it's not that far out there to think in a small town that there would be a murder. Um, But that's only the first act. And you have all the other acts that follow it uh, that really go in all sorts of directions. And there's this, I'm going to call it famous, but I don't know if it's famous, but there's this scene in the Simpsons where, mm-hmm. uh, Homer's watching Twin Peaks and, uh, you know, the, the on the TV, there's, uh, the image of the giant as, and then Homer goes, brilliant. Uh, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and, you know, when you think of Fargo, uh, that's kind of how the TV, sh- the TV show kind of you know, goes, you don't, you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And you almost are along for the ride. Right. And, yeah. um, Twin Peaks is like that. It just sort of unfolds in front of you and you're just like, okay, I'm in this world right now and let's see how this goes. And that's what, um, it's like from the first episode, you're like, wow, this is something different. Right. And, um, the, uh, Twin Peaks was created by David Lynch and, um, I'm just, uh, scrolling up to find the other guy, uh, Mark Frost. Um, they were co-creators, producers, and writers. Um, now, Lynch and I think Frost were on for season one only, and then season two kind of takes a different direction. It becomes more, in my opinion, more like conventional um, because they lost at least David Lynch from from that. But um, I would, uh, there's, and Phil was mentioning this, so apparently in Twin Peaks, like everybody who was an actor in the early 90s appeared on, on Twin Peaks as a guest spot or something. Twin so. Peaks is the who's who of '90s actors, definitely. Exactly. Uh, I I do have a couple. Can yeah. I? Oh, can can I do that? For sure. I was going to rattle off a few, but like literally, I have a website in front of me, and there's like 35. So we're only going to so do I, a few here. I want to talk yeah. about my I not, maybe not my favorite three, but the three that stood out. That when I uh, saw them on screen, I was like, oh man, this is going to be good. Okay, so the first one is uh, the character of the giant. And that's that's played um, by uh, Carol Strucken. Um, now, Strucken is Mr. Holm in Star Trek The Next Generation, which is just phenomenal. And he's also Lurch in The Adams Family. Oh, really? He's like seven feet tall, so he gets cast in these roles. Huh. Um, he's like Jaws from uh, the James Bond movies, right? He's just- like the big guy. He's just a great actor. Cool. Now, the second one is a little bit more obscure, but again, she's been in everything. It's Lucy Moran's sister, uh, Gwen Merton, and that's played by Kathleen Wilhoyt. Now, Wilhoyt also played in uh, Nurse Betty. 
She was in Family Ties. She was in ER. Wow. But what really caught my eye was that she was in Gilmore Girls. Huh. Uh, so she was Liz, uh, Dane, uh, Liz, uh, Liz Danes, uh, Luke Dane's sister. Oh, cool. And she plays essentially the same role. So I'm thinking oh, that's weird. just herself. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and the third one that I want to talk about is David Duchovny, and he comes on in season two, uh, episode nine, uh, as Denise Bryson, mm. uh, used to be Dennis Bryson. Yeah. And do I have to say anything more? Oh, right. It's yes. David. No, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, is it, so is he, so it's the early nineties. Would he be called like a crossdresser or like a transport? Like, well, like, the show kind of fumbles with it a bit. Yeah. They like, just as I do right there. Like, and that's what makes Twin Peaks awesome because it's like, it's sort of like, it's got like an old schooly kind of feel. It's like, um, like a cliche eighties oh, sort it's of teen of throb, like movie, like 16 candles. It, it reminds me of like 16. Matt, candles, we have to so call like, it for what it is. The movie's full of kitsch. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I think that's what I like. And like, that's why I like TV show, feel. not like, movie. TV show. Like a lack. Sometimes I lack the words, but I'm like, that's what I like. It's about full of it. kitsch. The yeah. little diner, the aprons, yeah. the costumes that they're wearing in the Just diner. Everything. The coffee this, that he um, he loves that cup of coffee. Loves like, the black coffee. Mm, that's a fine cup of coffee. Um, so, but, but to, to just return to Denise, uh, Dennis Bryson. Uh, so yeah, the, the show fumbles with it. Uh, but, um, Denise sits down with Cooper. Now Cooper had uh, a past relationship with Dennis, who is a DEA agent, uh, in the story. And they sit down and, and they're, Denise is explaining to agent Cooper why it is that he's now appearing as a female dressing in female clothes, long hair. And Denise has this story about how, uh, they had an undercover sting and uh, he needed to go in dress as a female. So he did, uh, did that for, you know, whatever days, weeks. Right. And then he yes. said, you know, there's something nice about wearing yeah. women's clothes. Like not bad. It, it was comfortable and yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I just continued doing it. It was just this natural progression and I feel good. Now my partner, and this is Denise saying this, my partner couldn't understand it and no one could understand it, but here I am and I just feel comfortable. And, Everyone else is finding this strange, except for Agent Cooper, who's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Agent Cooper is like the coolest guy ever, right? Sure. But um, I think that's fascinating. So this is social science fiction right there. So they're tangling with gender norms, right? And like, and people's reaction to them, which is like the reality. That's a, the lived experience of being either a crossdresser or a trans or a drag queen or a drag king, like however you want to label it. Um and it's also interesting that, like, I think a lot of people's reactions at that time was, well, that person must be crazy. Right. They yeah. must have a personality disorder. Yeah. So they're positioning David Coveney's character there as having split personality disorder, right? Like right. I would say. Right. But, but really the story behind it was, it was just the way it is. Yes, exactly. So these, um, you're seeing in Twin Peaks, this kitschy little awesome show, um, like um, complex gendered politics uh, being worked out on the screen in front of you as well. Yeah, and just really like uh, what ends up being a side story. Yeah, you know, I think later in season two, and it's almost like it, it, it's funny too. Like it, it's like you're laughing. You're like, oh, that's kind of like yeah, that's silly or whatever. Because David Coveney is like an awesome actor. <laughs> like he pulls it off. But right. Yeah. Like you, it like Lynch and Frost are like. It's okay to like have a chuckle and like sometimes that's how people work out the tensions in politics, right? Okay, well let's talk about Lynch uh Lynch's appearance in, on the show. Sure, um I'm actually going to have to get you to sort of talk about that. I hope don't put you on the spot cuz I didn't actually remember this. I have in on the screen here he played FBI Regional Bureau Chief Gordon Cole. 
So Gordon Cole, Gordon Cole is uh, Agent Cooper's boss uh, from Home Office. Mm. Uh, we first encounter him on home the f- office. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, we first encounter him on a phone call, uh, and we we realize something's up, but we don't know what. And then he strolls into the police office, and he's equipped with this device uh, that's in both ears. Oh, it's like an old. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> so the gun. Oh, yeah, so it's like <laughs> it's like this old school kind of hearing aid. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's the one that like sort of clips to your belt and is like very sort of. He's always like turning it up, right? And like yeah, so it sits in his front uh, breast oh, pocket. That's it. Yeah, uh, this it kind of looks like a tape recorder. <laughs> Uh, and he, you know, he's yelling all the time. He can't hear anybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he doesn't know what's going on. Um, oh God, but it's that kind might of funny. be my favorite character. I yeah. totally forgot about him. It's kind of funny, but you know, again, it's grappling with disability in a yeah. certain way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you see how the characters, uh, all the characters in Twin Peaks, uh, just kind of adapt to it. And how does uh, Dale Cooper uh, and uh, Cooper, this guy that we keep talking about, we might as well mention it. He's the like perhaps the lead protagonist in the show. Um, he's the FBI agent that appears like right at the beginning to like solve this case. Um, and then there's also a local sheriff as well. Right. So like, uh, the so how does Cooper react to, uh, this he just, appearing? he doesn't, he's just cool, calm, collected about rolls it, with it right? rolls with it. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a, a very, uh, funny scene. So again, it works on various levels. <clears throat> uh, so there's a very funny scene where, um, uh, the character played by Lynch comes in and says, uh, Cooper, I got something very sensitive to tell you. Of course, he's yelling all this. Can we go somewhere private? So they walk into an office. Now he's yelling the whole time. So <laughs> the entire department can hear him. Oh, I totally remember this scene. This is one of the funniest uh, ones. Yeah. You know, and Co- and Cooper's just following along. He's, yeah. he's talking very quiet because yeah. it's something sensitive. Uh, and then, um, you know, the other guys outside uh, in the police station walk in. They say, we can hear everything you're saying. But... Uh, the uh, the uh, FBI boss didn't hear that. So yeah. he, he just said, oh, 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 carry on, you know? So again, it's one of these dynamics where you have something funny, yeah. um, but it's actually turned into kind of a problem, right? So how yeah. do people with disabilities navigate oh, for sure. those spaces? Yeah. Uh, so here's an example of that. It's like, sorry, it, it's one of those moments where you're like, ha, 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 and you're like, oh. Oh, yeah, wait a second. If you do have a yeah. like hard of hearing yeah. and you talk loud, where do you conduct yeah. private conversations? Yeah, totally. So it kind of makes you think about it. And I think social science fiction uh, gets us to think that way. But so far we've talked about those kind of real world scenes. And uh, what Twin Peaks does is it always layers uh, the A story, which is the murder of Laura Palmer, mm. with these real kind of interactions that could happen with other stuff. And it's the other stuff that makes it sci-fi. So you mean like, um, like there's a lot of um, affairs as well. Is that what you're getting at? Like, no. How like about real life stuff happening? As well, well, how about like uh, uh, the weird presences in the woods? Uh, oh, the okay. You want to go into? Oh, you want to get into like the mystical shit? Absolutely. Now. Okay, That's cool. we have to yeah. get into that. Okay, cool. I I went in a different direction. I, went, I was going to talk about the real life shit. <laughs> but, no, no. Okay, there's no, lots um, of real life stuff that happens, yeah. but let's get into the the mystical. The mystical. Okay, cool. There's apparitions in the woods. Um, you often get like cutaway scenes in Twin Peaks of um, blue spruce trees um, yep. waving in like in a scary fashion, and there's a an awful CGI owl, I believe. I don't know if this is from the movie or the show <laughs> that swoops down. Um, um, but there's there's also these presences. So you're you're looking at this straightforward um, cop drama about this murder that needs to be solved, but then there's also this like 
magical, like kind of yeah. undertone. Yeah. So the B act ends up being uh, dreams. Mm. Uh, so oh, really? So okay. the the B act is that uh, there's this whole world that that uh, appears itself in dreams. So Cooper has a dream where he's in a red room. Laura Palmer's there. The giant's there. There's a, a dwarf, uh, kind of circus esque figure. Yeah, and that's he, dancing, um, and he talks backwards. As well. Talks backwards. Yeah. Um, and this, and this is giving clues <laughs> to Cooper about how to solve Laura Palmer's murder. Right. So Cooper, uh, in a earlier and sorry, epi- Cooper can't speak in those uh, areas. Is that correct? Like he can't speak back to the people. He can just uh, receive the information. Is well, he right? he doesn't speak. I don't know if he can. But like he that's what I felt like. That was like maybe this is me being a phenomenological like asshole. But um, um, I felt like um, the information was going to him. Um, because that's what happens in dreams. That's why I was like, oh, dreams, right, of course, that makes sense. Like, when you're in a dream, like, things happen to you. Like, it's very rare that you, only in lucid dreaming, do you have, like, the ability to, like, engage with your dream. So I feel like when he's going into this dream state in the red room, um, or the velvet room, or whatever they call it, um, that, yeah, he's a receiver of this information. It's always fragmentary, and it's always sort of like, ooh, there's some new rabbit holes to pursue. Right, um, so he, he has this dream, uh, Laura Palmer's there. He's an old man, Agent Cooper. Uh, and Laura gives him the murder, says, I'm going to tell you who my murderer is. Mm-hmm. Now he wakes up from his dream and he can't remember what she said. So, you know, Does the, she whispered in his ear. He, yeah. She bends yeah. over, whispers it. Oh, into his ear. that was such a frustrating thing. It gave me goosebumps right now, man. <laughs> uh, so moment. the, you know, the rest of the first season, uh, and at least half of the second season, is chasing around uh, these clues. Uh, now there's a woman with a log is another character. And I think she's referred to as just the woman with the log. Yeah. Now she gives agent Cooper some clues as well. Because the log speaks to her, right? The log speaks and the log can speak. And the log saw everything, right? The log saw, yes, the log saw everything. area is surrounded by these old growth like cedar and pine trees and it's like, it's very woodsy. So it's almost like the trees have eyes and the trees see everything. Right. What we find out is that there's actually some people who are able to have these uh, connections with these forces that are outside of the real world. Mm. And the more that the show progresses, we find out who those people are. Uh, The woman with the log is one of them. Uh, Laura Palmer's mother is one of them. Uh, And the more that we dig down into that second act, which is the act of the dream world, the more that we end up realizing that this is science fiction. Right. Like it's beyond just uh, normal dream occurrences. Mm -hmm. And we realize that when Laura's secret diary is found um, in the house of a kind of hermit botanist uh, character and in it, the same dream that Cooper had is described. So Cooper says, I had the same dream as Laura. Mm -hmm. And uh, the deputy said, well, that's impossible. And Cooper says, yes, yes, it is. And I... Can I return to this idea of it being outside the real world? Because what I got from Twin Peaks, and maybe this is just because I'm a mystical ass, <laughs> but um, I think that's part of like the real world with it. So, like, do you think that's a message that is like trying to be portrayed in this? That like when we think of the social world, it's not so much this bricks and mortar real world that we see in front of us, but there's this other layers, and whether it's dreams or imagination or whatever you want to call it but there's this other sort of layer to the real world, the so-called real world. So can it still be social science fiction and be fantasy? Because I don't think of it as science fiction, but I think of it as fantasy. 
Well, his, so his the, magic and shit. So this is really interesting, right? So is it more fantasy than science fiction? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Mm. You know, Cooper has this whole thing about how he studied uh, Tibet like, philosophy. Yeah, Tibetan philosophy. Um, yeah. Like he, Buddhist philosophy. Buddhist philosophy. He, oh, that makes sense. He actually. meditates. Yeah. Uh, he he repeatedly says he's very uh, connected to his uh, body soul. Mm. There's this scene where he says, I'm going to find out who the uh, killer is by throwing these rocks at this bottle. Mm-hmm. So say the name and I will throw the rock and the rock, whenever the name happens that, yeah. uh, and the rock hits the bottle, that's the killer. Yeah. So do you think Dale Cooper, like the part, because I don't know as much about Buddhist philosophy as I probably, I don't know. I, why would I know a lot about Buddhist philosophy? Do you think Dale Cooper would be like what we call like Zen? Because I'm, I'm thinking of his like sort of mellowness and even keelness, or perhaps like uh, we might be more familiar, like a stoic uh, person where it's like, nothing he's unwaverable like he is the most cool hand loop kind of guy yeah i think he's pretty zen yeah uh i think uh yeah philosophically he's pretty zen he would be kind of like a buddhist would you think uh, he's the embodiment of like this buddhist philosophy that um uh, lynch uh follows uh like yeah, is, is dale sure. cooper david lynch well that's a very good question i don't know uh, I don't know Lynch personally. I just blew my own mind, bro. <laughs> All right, uh, go on, man. But, but, you know, the, the third act that happens, uh, mm. that's a little bit more science, science-y, mm. is that, uh, times, This is in the first season still, right? Uh, the, these things happen in the second, the second season. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So time stops and the, when the giant appears in, um, the hotel room, mm. uh, to give, uh, Cooper a series of clues. Mm. Uh, and then later, um, when we find out who the killer actually is, uh, the giant appears, time stops again. Actually, the giant appears three times. Um, and each time time stops for some people and for other people, it doesn't. Um, so that's, that's kind of like, uh, the third level. Mm. Uh, we also have this interesting, uh, relationship with extraterrestrial life where Um, can I, sorry, before I I just want to talk about time because that's something that we could, um, so time stopping. Cause like, I forget this from the second season. I thought like the second season wasn't as good and it's kind of forgettable, but this is more interesting. Like I'm like, Oh, time stopping. I never made that connection. Um, so again, like the fantasy world is part of the real world. Perhaps, um, time is not as fixed as we think time is not linear. It is like able to be stopped. It's able to be molded around. Like, do you think that's another sort of connection to the social sciences that you can make there? Yeah. Well, I think so. I think it definitely gives us a commentary on how we structure our relationships uh, around time mm. and the fact that when something intervenes uh, for good or evil, time slows down, speeds up, or halts altogether. And do you think, uh, remind me if I'm wrong, um, but when he's in the red room, um, is Dale older? Like with some, a he little is, bit of gray and man, sideburns, yeah. right? Um, and, Wrinkles, uh, yeah. And we... Part of maybe partially doing this uh, around Twin Peaks because the the new season is coming out um, soon, or if not already. Um, but now um, um, the actor is older <laughs> because yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. A lot of fans are like, "Oh, it's like the Red Room has come to life. Like he is actually right, yeah. now old Dale Cooper." Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you have these kind of three kind of layers that offer us, in my opinion, social critique combined with uh, something that uh, resembles science fiction. Mm. Yeah. Um, and sorry, can you remind me of what the three layers are? Like, uh, is it the time stopping outside the, the dream world, like 
What, what do you mean by... Uh, well, we have kind of the first act, which is just like... Uh, oh, the, the acts are the three layers. Okay. Yeah, we kind oh, of have oh, like I the see. murder. Uh, that's right, kind of like the premise that. for the show. Uh, we have the second layer, which kind of like occurs in dreams or mm. apparitions. But then this other third layer, which is actually the physical... Um, I'm going to call it altering or the physical manifestations of um, these appearances, these forces, these sorts of things, right? Okay. And then later on, we'll have like uh, the... Um, the white and the the dark or the black cabins, mm. uh, cabins, cottages, uh, rooms for sure. And yeah, the room, yeah, I think white room, black yeah, room, black room, white room, something like that. Something like that cabin. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that in this third layer, the third kind of act of the series, um, is that I was about to write down the coming together of these the two worlds. So uh, a murder is like in an existentialist way the end of life, like it's like the most real thing in the world, right? Like that's a real world thing. And it affects these people in this real town and there's all these real relationships that are impacted, right? So it's the most kind of real aspect. And then dreams are what we all experience and we all know that they're unreal, right? And that they're this sort of like not real realm. And then the third layer is almost like those two coming together. So it's the manifestation of these, like whether you call them demons or apparitions or whatever they might be, these forces from the other side are making their appearance here and yeah i don't know i just never really made that connection yeah so i think um okay so where uh the show takes place in twin peaks is important uh the aesthetic of the show uh is definitely important uh so the aesthetic we talked about fargo a bit approaches fargo or resembles fargo uh, tv series in a lot of ways Mm. so there's lots of quirky kind of stage setup uh there's lots of nice panoramic views. There's uh, sometimes these, you know, horrible close, close-up shots of people screaming and yelling. Oh, um, the, the mother of Laura Palmer. Is it's such bad it acting. Yeah, with her frizzy, crazy hair. Yeah. And like, oh, she's so, she still haunts my dreams, man. Her and the guy in the jean jacket. Bob. So Bob in the jean jacket. Ooh, Bob um, scares. Ugh, you just give me the shiver myself. Right, so, so Bob in the jean jacket, uh, you know, is... Like right behind you, man. He's right there. Right. Uh, well, he ends up being uh, this force, right? That can, um, I guess, embed itself into people. So he chooses a carrier. And the idea is that uh, some people can stop him from entering while others can't. So what we end up learning is that the first act, the death of Laura Palmer, was a result that she was trying to stop him from entering her. And, and he was torturing her and tormenting her. Right. Yes. And she just couldn't, uh, you know, take, take it anymore. It anymore. Yeah. So she succumbed to him in yeah. this really weird roundabout way where her father kills her. Right. Um, so, you know, like a ritualistic sort of fashion. As exactly. Well, right? yeah. So we're led on this kind of, you know, detective storyline uh, that ends up coming right back to the start mm-hmm. to say, well, really the whole murder was a result of these forces occupying people. Uh, and that, that to me uh, is why I, I call it social science fiction is that, you know, it combines a real world social commentary with something a little bit more sciencey, not necessarily space and not technologically, mm-hmm. but uh, something just a little off different. It's in a real sense. It's like physics. Like if physics is the science of the material world, I guess, or whatever, right? Like describing the material world, but the non-material world should be part of physics as well, right? It's like the absence of physics. So it's like, 
I don't know. It's it's interesting to me. Um, I forgot about the Bob. Um, like um, going into Laura Palmer, <laughs> whatever. Try to yeah yeah. Um, and and we um, discover this through uh, her secret diary. Right, and that's the the and you mentioned that horticulturalist. That's that young guy who has like the weird aquariums and like lights in his room or in his uh, house or whatever. Yeah, he grows. Um, a particular kind of flower. Was it like Laura's favorite flower or something? Uh, I don't like remember that? it now. And because there's always these characters, so I'll, this is just a side note, but there's always these characters that pop up in Twin Peaks. You're like, oh, that that's definitely that's the, definitely the murderer. Yes. Like this, like this guy. If you saw him, he's like like a weird guy who grows like flowers in aquariums or something. Right. Maybe orchids. I think they might have. Been, they but, they were orchids. They yeah, were. Yeah. yeah. Because it's like something you specialize in. Anyway, um, so I think it's interesting. Laura Palmer. It's like. Was she murdered or was it like a suicide? And then there's this mystical thing as well. But um, in the early 90s, there was like, you know, there was a big scare about teens using drugs and having these bad influences and things like this and then going and killing themselves or um, doing things that are so destructive that they essentially kill themselves as well. So I think, again, Lynch and um, and his co-writer there were keying in on something that was like relevant in in the zeitgeist at that, at that time as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, drugs works again on two levels. Like, you know, I think, uh, any storyline in Twin Peaks has a second level to it. Has At least four. It, it, maybe <laughs> like four. Yeah. But we'll um, keep it at two just for. But like, uh, so we have the storyline of Laura and, and friends using cocaine, mm. uh, ostensibly. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so they're get they're using drugs recreationally. But then you also have the storyline of the one-armed man uh, who's using a concoction of drugs and that when he's on those drugs, cannot feel the presence of Bob. But when he's off of those drugs, can hunt Bob, basically. Mm -hmm. And the story is that they used to work together uh, and the one-armed man got tired of Bob, Mm -hmm. decided to chop off his own arm, amputate himself. um, And, you know, Cooper finds this out, takes him off the medicine the drugs, and, and then the one-armed man becomes kind of like Cooper's helper yeah. in the quest. Yeah. Can can kind of, you know, but he's talking in tongues. He's doing all sorts of, you know, really weird stuff. That you'd say, wow, he's like schizophrenic almost, yeah. right? But Cooper believes in this guy, and he's doing seances with him. Mm-hmm. And, and at some point, you know, the sheriff goes, okay, I've had enough of this. Uh, we know who the murderer is. There's enough evidence. I've had enough of this, you know, hokey-pokey sort of magical stuff. So... That reminds me of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? There you go, right? yeah, yeah. But, like, do you think the use of tropes, like, because I, now I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's so many, like, obvious tropes in Twin Peaks that I never thought of. Like, um, do you think the use of tropes, do you think that's an element, potential element of social science fiction um, that you're hearkening back to past works? Because you started us right off when, like, Gulliver's Travels and, like, Francis Bacon or whatever, or whoever it was, sorry. Yeah, um, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, for a work of science... like citing or something, citations or something. Yeah, I think right? for a work of social science fiction to function, uh, it needs to have at least some level of trope present. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that probably could be said with any um, book or film or TV show. There, but, there's no original novel, as they say. Well, that's right? it. Yeah. But in these sort of, uh, you know, let's... Well, okay, let's focus on Twin Peaks. So the tropes that they're using is time travel is one of them. Uh, the the mystical divide between the real world and the non-real world. Uh, there's a trope of psychedelic drugs, so certain concoctions of things that and aren't teens. known to, and, to and humans. And teen drug use. And like teen that, drug that's use, more of sure. The trope, yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know, there's uh, some other kind of things around domestic abuse that oh, happens with sure. Leo Johnson yeah. and adultery. Adultery. Uh, so, like, these are all themes that are, that occur. And then the like the the look of the show is a trope in and of itself. Like everything is so cliche. Is you say kitschy, but it's like it's the most cliche show in the world. But so original for that reason. So, so it it's not happening in a utopian or dystopian setting. Yeah. But it's combining a lot of the elements that you would find in utopian or dystopian storylines. It, it's also out of place and out of time, but it's also in place and in time at the same time. Like it's like it looked like some of the styles that the kids wear. It's like '50s sock hop exactly. Sort of look. Yeah, and then others are like he looks like uh, the bad boy from the Breakfast Club, that bad kid or whatever. So it's sort of like a little bit all over the place. But, yeah, and then you you know, but then you, that diner is like the '50s diner and the cup of coffee. It's right. Like, yeah. And, and then you have characters like Dr. Jacoby, who uh, was apparently born in Hawaii, uh, fell in love and s- remains fascinated by it, somehow ends up in Twin Peaks, has a, an obsession with Laura Palmer. Uh, Laura Palmer was one of her one of his clients at some point, uh, who's, uh, you know, eventually in the show, they speculate that he had something to do with the murder. He doesn't. Um, but. You know, he's wearing one, he's wearing a pair of glasses with one red lens, one blue lens. Um, you know, he's out of place. He doesn't, he doesn't fit in with the rest of Twin Peaks. But then when you, you know, remove, when you kind of go back to the, to the meta level again, no one fits in Twin Peaks. And like, um, I'm just looking at this website I have of the character list. So the little person, uh, Michael J. Anderson, who's in the Red Room, um, his character name is Man from Another Place. Exactly. There you yeah. Go. And the red room is neither here nor there. Yeah. Yeah. And so are the, the lodges, the white lodge and the black lodge. We should there, probably yeah. talk about that. Do you have something on that? Because I don't really have anything that I'm just sort of prompting you. It's a, just another place that is like out of place and out of time. And do they go to the lodges or is it just sort of like an idea that's out in the woods somewhere and like it's just spoken about? Well, I think one of the theories is that the red room is... Um, kind of between uh, the two lodges. Oh, so it's like the liminal... It's the liminal space between them. The, oh, the white lodge represents the good, uh, and the black lodge represents uh, the evil. Like, like yin and yang. And exactly. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, the giant... So the giant, awesome. uh, in some accounts, um, you know, seems to be working for the black lodge, but we're not sure because he provides Cooper with um, some some clues. Uh, in, the, in the new incarnation of it... Um, you know, his his name isn't the giant. He was credited as the giant in the original series. His name now appears as a series of question marks. So we're not sure where he is. Um, so, you know, there's all these little clues that point us in the direction that this isn't what we think it is. Nothing is as it appears. And that's something that uh, runs throughout the TV series. Uh, nothing is as it appears. So how's this for a philosophical, like, meta, like, I don't know where I'm going with this. Um, so the Black Lodge, the White Lodge, then you got the Red Room in the middle. And, um, you know, as you say, like, is a giant associated with the Black Lodge being evil and the White Lodge being good, and he, he doesn't fit in. He's a liminal character in and of himself. And maybe the creators are suggesting that there is no such thing as good and evil it's like good or evil i guess it's is always good and evil together like there's no clear distinctions between that like life is more complicated than good or evil you know yeah and i think um the crux of a social science fiction is to offer a message like that 
and convey it through uh, devices that are unfamiliar to us. And this show certainly gives us lots of unfamiliar devices. Can I just have one last question, uh, rhetorical question to you? Like, I like Dale Cooper. You probably like Dale Cooper, but like, and we have favorites, but like, are there likable characters in this? Like, it, or is there hateable characters? Or is, are they all this uh, 50 Shades of Grey or whatever? Like, are they all just sort of both all the time? Uh, I would have to say that we like everyone in the show, yeah. maybe except for Bob. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but he just and know, these are looks like, weird and acts weird. But uh, they're all like, ev- some some of them are evil. They're like adulterers. They some beat their wives, and these are all like, they're all like characters, right? Uh, maybe yeah, maybe maybe other than the wife beater, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, maybe Leo Johnson. Yeah. We could probably do without him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's um does uh, yeah. Ah, that's interesting, man. This is a fascinating one. Uh, just like everything on our podcast, I'm like, oh, I never thought of that before. Uh, oh, thanks for bringing that up, Phil. So, I don't know, so what have, do you um, think, Matt? Is uh, Twin Peaks a work? That's of just what I was going to ask you, bro. Um, I would say, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, because I um, the am the kind of social scientist I like to think that uh, gives a lot of credence to the mystical realms and the fantasy lands and stuff like that. And you kind of have to do that in anthropology because if those worlds are real to the people that we work with, then they need to be just as real to the researchers themselves. I think what gives it away for me is the insistence in social science fiction about speculation. And the deductive method that Cooper employs is based on speculative uh, analyses. Uh, he says that he deploys, uh, you know, at various points in the show, he says that he deploys deductive reasoning, which is like a Sherlock Holmes sort of mm. uh, method. But really, uh, as the show progresses he continually says, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, he's and, like throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Well, exactly. And, uh, you know, at one point, so, so, so. Hawk, uh, Deputy Hawk says, uh, Agent Cooper, you don't need to know the destination. You just simply need to follow the path that you're on. Mm. And to me, that kind of encompasses what the speculative approach uh, to philosophy or social sciences is. Mm. Um, Zygmunt Bowman was a great proponent of speculative research, mm, yeah. uh, never really relying on hard data. Uh, C. Wright Mills' sociological imagination is another kind of example of how that can be uh, manifested. Um, most famously, Bowman, you know, again, kind of went off in these philosophical forays about social life uh, without really, you know, digging in, interviewing or doing whatever. So I think those things put together, for me, make Twin Peaks uh, a, a work of social science fiction. Perfect. That's two for two. That means it's a uh, social science fiction, eh? Uh, well, maybe. I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> that's I probably could be... up to. How about that's up to everybody who's listening? Right I think now. it can be up to everybody who's listening. Why don't you um, tell them how they can reach us then, Phil? So let us know what you think uh, about Twin Peaks, uh, social science fiction, or the like. Uh, you could tweet at us at the underscore sim underscore pod. You could email us your thoughts at semiintellectual at gmail our website, which includes the archive to the show, is thesim.podbean.com. We also have a Facebook page that is at The Sim Pod. You can listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher of choice. Please leave us some ratings, some reviews. Tell us how we're doing. It really helps us. Uh, Matt, this has been a fun episode. Thanks for being back. Yeah, no, it's uh, really good to be back. Now I got real podcast itchy. Uh, we're going to send you out on Matt's other song oh, cool. that he played. Uh, for his new one, Violet. Oh, okay. I'll try not to cry. While I'm alone and blue as can be, dream a little dream of me. Stars fading, but I linger on. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Bill and Matt here. We have some recommendations for you. Matt is on his phone, which is a signal to me that he will recommend a podcast to you. Surprise, surprise. I'm uh, back on the podcast and I got more podcasts to recommend. Um, So I have two of them for you. Um, The first one is like with Fresh Air and maybe Joe Rogan was the very first podcast I listened to back like seven years ago, right? When I first started getting into podcasting, it's um, the um, Bill Simmons uh, uh, show. Um, He has um, a number of shows that are kind of um, like subsidiaries from his. Um, And it's like sports and culture and popular culture, some history. Um, And his main um, podcast has a really cool um, episode this week. Um, It's called Smart Guy Friday. And he's got these two really smart guys that come on. And um, one of them who I wanted to actually steal like a podcast segment from him. He has this segment that he would come on his show and do. It's called uh, Half-Brained Ideas or Half-Baked Ideas. And man, some of the ideas are so good. Like, like, like what? Give us an example. Um, one that I thought was really good was, um, you know, when you press the brakes on your car, it just goes red. Um, his idea is like, depending on how hard you press the brake, um, it's like variable, variable light. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Genius, that would be eh? so genius. Yeah. And, um, hate being stuck in traffic and someone's riding their brakes and you, and they're not like, you have no idea. You have no, like, are they or stopping they, or, or they hit their brakes or... so hard and you're like, Whoa, geez. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah so, great idea. Um, and there's like, if that's a more. Kickstarter, I, I'm supporting yeah. that. And there's, um, so I encourage you to go back into the back episodes and try to find it. Um, Bill Simmons had a break from ESPN. So like, um, the first like six years of his podcast are all owned by ESPN. So the new podcast has got a black and green sort of uh, symbol, like a right. cover look, art. Look for so black look and green. for that, yeah. And, and what's then the second one? The other one is a little bit more serious. It's, um, it's called Reveal, and it's from the Center for Investigative Reporting. Um, and it's hosted by Al Leston. And he has um, at least one or two podcasts a week, and it's an investigative journalism podcast. Um, they are the people who broke the, um, uh, what is it, the Flint water uh, crisis um, that happened like maybe like a year ago where the water was really polluted in Flint, Michigan. Um, they were the, the lead ones. They were right there on the Standing Rock uh, thing, uh, protests as well. Um, and uh, maybe three episodes back, um, he interviewed Roger Stone, who is a key figure in Donald Trump's like rise. And it was very revealing 25-minute episode. So um, that's reveal- and the other one is Bill Simmons. Very nice. Uh, for you today, uh, if you are like myself or if you know someone who's like myself, which uh, I'm going to describe myself as the bearded type, oh. uh, have, a, have a beard, um, you need, you have to get some beard products. Um, I resisted for a very long time mm. until I started using them and I will never go back. Uh, I uh, So I was given this as a gift and I've been really enjoying the bottle's almost empty. And that is Urban Beard, uh, so it's beard oil. And I have the original uh, scent, uh, which is kind of, you know, uh, you know, it's, it smells clean. It has, uh, I think, uh, I don't know, some cedar, uh, has a little lavender. It's, oh, yeah, it smells like an outdoorsy man. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's like a lumberjack scent. Yeah. Um, now, I use that in combination with a, the Urban Beard uh, Beard Soap. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I use the beard soap every day, urban beard, uh, beard oil every day. How do you, how do you like, what's the process of put like soap versus oil? Like how does that all work? Soap washes. I've never tended to my own. Yeah. So it's like, just let the fro go as they say. It's uh it's a little different than your head of hair in, in it, <laughs> in that, uh, your beard, your, the skin underneath can get really dry and itchy. Yeah. And yeah, I think sure. most people, most men who wish to sport the beard, um, like fail. scratching your cheek forever. Right? Yeah, fail to sport it because it gets itchy. Um, so what ends up happening is with the beard oil is that the, your skin underneath can be nice and smooth. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought it was out. to make a, your beard look shiny or well, sleek or something. Well, I think this also happens with a beard oil. Okay. It just kind of uh, traps in some moisture in mm-hmm. the beard. So it allows it to kind of, uh, you know, have that nice look. Mm. Uh, it also makes it nice and soft. So will you like kind of give, like, do you comb your beard? <laughs> like, I don't know. I've I never do. had a beard as long as yours. Yeah. So I do comb it uh, every once in a while. And then you'll throw the, so you probably comb it, then wash and then with the soap and then the no. oil? Or so here's your process? So, That's what I was curious so here's, about. So the soap, the, steps? the soap happens in the shower, just oh. like your head of hair. Oh, nice. So you wet your beard, it's a bar of soap, you just wash it. It's like uh, washing your face, but yeah. you just use the... the, yeah, the for sure. Don't use... Yeah, you could use it Not on your entire body. Bro. Go you on. just wash your face <laughs> with it. Move on. Rin- rinse it off. Okay, good. Uh, oh, okay. Good thing you reminded me. <laughs> so pat dry it. Yeah. Put the beard oil on after. So you rub it in your hands, just a couple drops, goes a long way. Warm it up a bit. Rub it all inside your beard. Get it all up in there. And then comb it. Uh, you don't want to comb... A dry beard, it hurts, it pulls, it tugs. You don't oh, want to yeah, comb sure. just a wet beard. Uh, it gets tangly. Mm. So you got to put some oil in there and then comb it. Oh, so it sort of like lubes up the comb. Yep. Lubes <laughs> up the comb. <laughs> there you go. Mic drop. <laughs> Good thing we got mic stands. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'll, I will be... What's the brand? Uh, I don't think even... The brand is Urban Beard. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, it's made in Canada. Oh, cool. Um, you know... It, I think this bottle uh, for, uh, what is this, 30 mLs of beard oil retails probably for about $17. Yeah, and you only need like three, four drops or something the, it, like that. This, this has lasted me six months, 30, oh, 30 mLs. Um, okay. I'm, in the later episodes, I'm going to be recommending uh, some homemade uh, beard oils because oh, cool. I also make my own at home. Ooh, uh, so I'll be recommending some uh, various scents and recipes for that. But nice. want to get you started with the beard uh, oil from Urban Beard, Canada's finest beard oil. Thanks very much. Uh, if you've enjoyed our recommendations, if you've enjoyed our show on social science fiction and Twin Peaks, if you've enjoyed Matt's unveiling of his <laughs> baby girl's name, Violet, uh, tell us. You can tell us on Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. You can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the archive of the show, is thesim.podbean.com. We have a Facebook page that is at thesimpod. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on Google Play. We're on your podcatcher of choice. So please give us some ratings, some reviews, subscribe to the show. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, and, you know, if you have any ideas for future episodes, send them our way. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for being with us and uh, see you next time. Good to be back. Get back now. Make your brain take some facts. Make your hands.